Fantastic. Happy Father's Day. I know for all the new dads, I know there's a couple new dads out there. Gavin's a new dad. is awesome. Yeah. Having his, uh, his daughter born and and then there's Josh back there, new daddy, new papacitos. It's great to have new dads. You know, uh, I'm so happy to be a dad this morning. I got, I got very practical gifts. I got, I got some uh, beach sandals. I got uh, some gym workout gloves. And I got some shin guards for soccer. Uh, I don't know what all that means, but I'm happy to receive those. I just wanted breakfast. And maybe a dinner with the kids, but I got some gifts, so it's pretty awesome. If you get anything besides dinner and, and, and a breakfast with your kids, and you get, they buy you stuff, that's pretty awesome. I don't expect that. Because when I grew up in my household, I asked my dad, what do you want for Father's Day? He would say stuff like, nothing. And I'm like, I'm going to get you something. He's like, fine, give me underwear. For Christmas, what do you want, Dad? Nothing. No, what can I get you? Give me Hanes t-shirts then. He wants the most practical gifts. And it's funny, I, I, I expect that as well. I want practical things I can use. But what was really special this morning is my daughter wrote me a card. I thought that was really, really awesome as she shared it with me. I was like, wow, thanks for the homemade card. It was encouraging. I'm sure all the dads have got some of that, and it's exciting to be a dad. Yeah. I'm starting a new series today. Uh, it's entitled in the, mean, in the Meantime. And what I mean by that in the meantime concept is this is that you're, you're a believer in God, you have belief in God, and you're going through a very difficult time in your life, and there's nothing you can do about it. So what do you do in the meantime? What do you do when you, have, when you cannot do anything anymore? So we're going to answer the question, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? In a relational situation, maybe it's your marriage. You're hoping and praying that your spouse changes. There's nothing you can do anymore. It's up to them. How about financially? There's nothing you can do. Professionally. So, what do you do when there's no way forward and no good way out? And there are problems for which there are seemingly no solutions. Where there are questions, but there are no answers. It is what it is, and it looks like that's just the way it's going to be. You know, I think about Katrina in Norway. What do you do in the meantime while you have cancer and you're going through chemotherapy? What do you do when your daughter's about to die when she was barely born? I remember Gavin had that experience. What do you do in the meantime? It's out of your hands. And, and for some of us, we've experienced some of that. So that's what this series is about. What do we do in the meantime? There are options, but not some good ones. We can run. We can abandon. We can quit. We can give up. We can give in. We can drink. Saw a lot of that growing up. <coughs> We can become jealous. We can become resentful. We can get really angry. We can start comparing ourselves to others. When everyone else seems to have a great job, a great relationship, a great marriage, great health, they have better opportunities than when you're supposed to have. 
What do you do in the meantime? So there are three things we're tempted to conclude when this happens to us. One is, I'll never be happy again. You ever feel that? I'll never be happy again. Two, nothing good can come from this. I say that a lot. And three, my all-time favorite, what's the point? There's no point in continuing. That's my greatest temptation. I, I, I want to throw in the towel. There's, what's the point? You know, yesterday my son's soccer team was uh, getting, uh, they were getting beat, they were getting beat like they stole something. It was, and I was discouraged. And my son was discouraged. And he comes, he comes out for the substitution, he's like, he puts his head down. What's the point in playing soccer? I haven't won a game since last year. And last year's too. They lost every game last year. And then they lost their first game this year. And you know, I had no... I, I, son, in the meantime, I, I, I had nothing to say. But try harder! Don't give up! And those words did not console my son very much. I tried to console him the best I could, but they, he was inconsolable. So this week, I want to confront the primary emotion that people feel when they're facing a new normal. The emotion that makes us want to throw up, panic, or run. The emotion that when we feel like life is out of control, and that God has let go of you. I think we all have experienced that in some form throughout our lifetime. And maybe a new normal is upon you today. So embracing this is so much of the battle. Number one, we want to know God cares about us when we're going through this process of in the meantime. Number two, we want to feel His presence in our life. That's a funny thing when you ask God to be present in your life. I feel kind of hypocritical when I think about that. Because if I was honest, and since we're in church, let's be honest, there are some times where I don't want the presence of God in my life. That's the last thing I want. Because I'm thinking about myself. It's kind of hypocritical, huh? I want God, but then when I'm, when I'm, when I'm really feeling sinful, I don't want God around. I, I don't want to know that He's around. I have that feeling as well. So we bounce from, I'm not sure I want God intervening, to, why is God not intervening? You know, I kind of go back and forth. No, 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 God, stay out of this one. I'm a sinful man. Gosh, in the meantime, where are you, Lord? So, throughout the Old Testament, and the New Testament, I don't know if you ever saw this theme in the Bible, but God seemingly appears to abandon His favorite people while they're in the meantime. Circumstances. It looks that way. But that wasn't the case. In fact, God is at work. My point today isn't that you'll like your situation, because you probably won't, but that you will not give up hope that God is with you. You won't give up hope that He's aware of you, that God is not punishing you for some unknown sin. Let's look in in, in our Bibles, in Matthew chapter 11. So, Jesus is somewhere in Galilee, and I'll put, I'll put it on the board for us in a second. So, Jesus is somewhere in Galilee, it's northern, the northern part of the map, and he just finished, 
giving his disciples some specific instructions for how to do and go around doing ministry. And he heads out to do some ministry himself. And some of John the Baptist's followers stop him to ask a question from John. Because John wants to know, are you really the Messiah? Or is somebody else coming? Are we waiting on someone else? When, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? If you know the backstory, you know why John asked this question to Jesus. John was in jail for criticizing the king. Herod Antipas, he was the son of the, the Herod of the, of the birth narratives where the, he went and killed all the children. His son was Herod Antipas. And what he did, he ran off with his brother's wife. Technically his niece. Her name was Herodias. And John the Baptist took every opportunity to talk about them in that situation. Now, what a poor example it was for the nation of Israel. And so Herodias got tired of it and talked Herod into having him arrested. So he's arrested and he's taken to Herod's palace in, 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 uh, in Machiris, which I'll show you in a second what, what that looks like. So when Jesus heard, when Jesus heard that John was in prison, when he heard John was in prison, he writes this, when Jesus heard that John had been in prison, There you go. He withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. When God hears of your situation, when Jesus heard about John's situation, you, you would think, you would think this is, this, is, this is, he would go save him. But this is what John thought about Jesus. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I mean, John was one of Jesus' favorite people. Remember John and Aslan, behold the Lamb of God, He's coming, He's a Savior. I mean, they're related, their, mother, their mothers are friends. Jesus called Him the greatest ever. Above, among anyone born, He is the greatest and when he heard he was in prison, he goes and breaks him out. He gathers his twelve and says, Hey guys, John's in prison, man. He's the greatest. Let's go get him out. Let's do this. And then the apostles like, Yeah, let's do this. And do a miracle, Jesus. Because later on, God breaks out Peter from prison. Why is he going to break out John? In fact, he, he withdraws. He pulls away. And John's in prison. I mean, we're expecting Jesus to turn Herodias and Herod into bread and feed him to the fish. How dare you capture John the Baptist? If there's anyone you want on your team, it's John the Baptist. The guy was radical. That's like saying... We're not going to have Weston Spencer on our soccer team next year. That's insane. Let's go to all our goals. 
It's crazy. We may retire that jersey in a few years, I told him. But in a few years, he can keep it. He withdraws. That, don't you feel gutted when you read that? Why would Jesus do that? And then you have your situation and you feel like, God, what? and he withdraws too. And, we, and we, we start to conclude God is absent. God doesn't care. God is obviously punishing us for some unknown sin. That was not the case for John the Baptist. But it gives us insight into this concept of what do we do in the meantime? Jesus actually goes in the opposite direction. He goes as far north as possible. John the Baptist is over here in this military fort called Maturus, which he actually, he, it, was, it was here because it was on a high hill look overlooking the Dead Sea, but you can also see the desert in case of an invading army. So it was kind of a lookout post. And so, but he made it into actually a palace. He put a lot of luxury items in there, and he stayed there, and it looked a little bit like this. Very nice. And John was in prison in one of the dungeons. So he, John's here, and then Jesus goes up here. He withdraws into this area, about 130 miles away. By the time John sends this message to Jesus, he's been in Herod's desert dungeon for over a year. Maybe a year and a half. And a year later, Jesus replies to this request of, who who are you? And he says the strangest things ever. I mean, he says some of the strangest words to a man that he's related to, he's the greatest ever, he's one of your favorite people in all the world, and then he says this, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Literally that means, blessed are you if you don't get tripped up, if you don't get offended by me, caused to be brought to a downfall by me, or caused to sin by me, or be shocked through the words I'm speaking or action. The implication is, there will be times when I don't make sense. And there will be times when God does not make sense to you. Happy, blessed, is the man or woman who maintains their faith anyways. Who believes and trusts anyways. Blessed is he who does not confuse my silence for absence. Because John, a short time later, was beheaded. And he was the greatest ever. He was part of his favorite people on the earth. Don't interpret God's silence as absence. And I do that naturally because I had a distant emotional relationship with my dad and I still do. We work at it. And so when I get insecure, it, does his silence becomes absence. So I take that picture of how I grew up and I put that on God. 
When I'm asking God to intervene, He doesn't. My emotions say, why are you absent? When He's just really silent. Can you relate to that? How we view God in many ways is how we experience life through our own Father's relationship with us, our earthly fathers. And God is not a bigger version of your earthly dad. I think He is sometimes, but He's actually not. He is the perfect version of your earthly dad. Not the made-up kind that I like to make up in my brain. Because my dad was me absent at times. Okay, that was John the Baptist. Sometime later, Jesus and His twelve guys are at the very spot where John used to baptize people. And somebody comes running up to with this message, and they say this, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, if you know the backstory, he's talking about, they're talking about Lazarus, their brother. Jesus knows Lazarus. They're friends. They're close. Which, and it, which makes Jesus, again, his reaction kind of odd. You know, he reacts to John the Baptist, blessed are you if you don't stumble. And then his reaction to his friend Lazarus, who's sick, is this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Okay, for you to get a message that someone's sick and they're running to find Jesus. And they're scouring the, you know, there was no GPS there was no ways. Where's Jesus? Think about when you think about when you got a when you when you had your beeper. For you, you had your beeper and you beeped what you had to do. And for all the young kids, you cannot relate to this at all. You get a beeper. You have to pull over in some random spot. Looking, you're looking for a payphone. Where's the payphone? And, and when you get beeped, you're usually in the shadiest area of town. It always worked out that way. So I gotta walk into Taco Bell on their shady little payphone, put in my 35 cents, and return the phone call. Okay, that takes time. Right? Now imagine these people running to find Jesus. They have to use a network of people. I think it was in Bethany, or was it Jerusalem? Maybe it was Judea, I'm not sure. He's always moving around. Who knows? So they find him and they track him down. As a Jesus. To track him down, meaning Lazarus is in bad shape. In other words, he is not going to make it, Jesus. And we need you to come down. And what does Jesus do? He hangs out two more days. And then Lazarus dies. What an odd reaction for someone. It's someone like, that's your friend? This is the guy you love? But I think these examples are here in the Bible to help us get through our in the meantime. To help us get through those tough moments in life where we can't explain where is God. He's not absent. Maybe He's silent. But He certainly isn't absent. So don't confuse, confuse, confuse God's apparent absence for apathy. He's not absent and He's not angry. Sometimes I think that when God's not around, He's angry at me. He's mad at me for something. And I can't figure out why. Why are you so mad? And there are three things that you'll be tempted to believe in the meantime. 
Here's three lies. Lie number one. And we tell ourselves this. I'll never be happy again. Do you feel that when you just broke up with your boyfriend? Amen. I'll never be happy again. <laughs> Two. Nothing good can come from this. What good does a life-threatening situation give? What good does it give? Cancer doesn't equal good in my book, but that's a lie. Three, Gio's all-time favorite, there's no point in continuing. There's no point. Why are we doing this? And this series is to help us change the way we think and we view God to when we lose our joy, when we lose our hope, and we lose our purpose, Joy says, I'll, Joy says uh, uh, I will be happy once again. That's what Joy says. But when we lose focus, Joy doesn't become that. Joy becomes, I'll never be happy again. Hope turns to, nothing good can come from this. And purpose turns into, there's no point in continuing. I have no purpose. And we take that view. I can't imagine the sisters who went to Jesus. Now, then, then the story there, Jesus, you know, raises them from the dead four days later. He has to open the tomb up, and they're like, "Don't open it; it stinks in there; it's decaying." And the reason why it was four days, I, I believe, is that because the Jewish, the Jews had this had this myth that the soul kind of stayed in your body for three days. So the fourth day was like, "Please, Charlie Holmes, he's gone. He's done. It's over." So four days, dude, don't even try to open that thing. And he raises them from the dead. He does that. It was to bring and show people God's glory. But in the meantime, it was struggle. It was a big time struggle. Big time struggle. This is what I want you to understand about God. He's not absent. He's not apathetic. He has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. Your circumstances are your circumstances. They're not proof of the presence of God. and they're not, they're not proof of the absence of God. It's just a circumstance. So for the next few weeks, when you're tempted to grab hold of one of those and say, say to yourself, I can be happy. You know when I saw Wayne at the hospital? He was happy. I mean, his gut was split open. I mean, it was bad. And he had this sack of what, you know, was supposed to come out of your... It was like in this little sack. And it was disgusting. And he would show... Look at this, Jill. Like, that's TMI. That's still TMI. Little, he would just... Look at this bag. I'm like, that's gross and disgusting. I'm going to leave if you keep doing that. But he was happy. He was happy. A special moment when I, when I came to... When I visited him last time... Last Sunday was, he was laying in bed and he had no energy. And he was just mumbling stuff. He was just, he was trying, you know, when someone visits you, you try to be giving. He was trying to be giving, but his body was like, it was just exhausted. He just couldn't give. So I said, Wayne, just, just fall asleep, man. I'll be right here. So he, he fell asleep and for like 10 minutes, he'd be like, Gio, Gio, call my lawyer. Just his number, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow, that's random. Okay. Hey, he said, it's okay, Wayne, fall asleep, fall asleep. He's like, okay. Gio, Gio, Gio. Thanks for being here, man. 
Thanks for being here. And he'd fall back asleep. It was like that for two hours. Every ten minutes he'd wake up and say something crazy. Just to hang out with him a little bit. Because he almost died. It was crazy. I can be happy. Number two, something good can come from this. Something good. You know, when I was a kid, I swallowed a marble and almost died. My dad saved my life. My dad didn't even, didn't even know the Heimlich maneuver. He knew, all he knew was ghetto fabulous. Hand to the back. Crack, crack. And the marble came out. Defied the Heimlich. Saved me. Five years old. <clears throat> you know what good came from that? There hasn't been a marble in my house since that day. <laughs> it's good. No marbles. They get thrown. Even my kids know this. No marbles in the house. Don't <laughs> worry. They throw it away. Something good can come from this. Three, there's a purpose to this pain. I mean, Dan said it best at the communion. He gave us an example to follow in suffering. There's a purpose. Jesus suffered for a purpose to save you. Sometimes pain has a purpose that you know nothing about. And you probably never will be until you see God. Say, God, what was up with that? But until then, in the meantime, know that there's a purpose. I know this is heavy. I know. But it needs to be taught. Because some of you guys don't have your dads anymore. Your dad's died. And that's heavy. Oh, your relationship with your dad is not good and it's on your heart this morning. It's heavy. In the meantime, think about things like this. God is not absent. He's not apathetic. And some of you will need this someday. Others, you need it today. And in times like this, we all need a reminder that God still holds the entire world, our world, in His hands. So I want to wish you a happy Father's Day and have a great afternoon with your families. That concludes our service. Thanks for coming. Have a great afternoon.